pastor's message this morning is entitled Strengthened by God, and the scripture references the last three verses of the book of Romans, that's chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. This is Paul's uh, closing benediction, uh, powerful words. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations, for the obedience of faith, to God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, be glorified in this sermon. Strengthen us, establish, establish us in the truths that we have been so richly receiving now for two and a half years in Romans. And as you remind us of what these truths had cost other Christians, remind us, Lord, now that as we stand, Lord, that it's a cost that we will not lose a thing, Lord, by standing. We will only gain in the end. Lord, help us to remember that our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, as the song used to say, where Christ is seated at your right hand. Our treasure is Christ, and I pray that we would keep that in mind through this season of life, and as we consider and we look back at what you've done and your mercies, uh, even as it's come to us now 503 years later, be glorified to establish your word in us and to establish your church. Give us a fresh and a new spirit of earnestness when it comes to establishing ourselves and our children and our loved ones in the world in the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that's established and applied to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday marked the 503rd anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, or what could be called the spark that led to the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther's nailing of his 95 really points of debate on the castle church door at Wittenberg, Germany. And I've briefly reminded us over the past few weeks of the five solas, and yet all of those five points have really been in, involved in the last two and a half years of our study in Romans. And by the way, we're not putting an end to that study in Romans today, we're not skipping the last five chapters and and calling it quits here, but I thought that these, pat, these last three verses of really benediction are really appropriate as we think about what's past, as we remember the Reformation, and what we consider now as Christians, and what we face as Christians in an increasingly hostile age. Uh, these five solas that we've considered, Scripture alone, Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, glory of God alone, are five doctrines found everywhere, I believe, in the book of Romans. But in God's providence, they are neatly presented to us, either implicitly or explicitly, 
in both the beginning of Romans and the end of Romans. It's sort of Paul forms what are, what's called a sort of inclusio in the book that center around what we could consider these, even these five truths. If you go back to Romans 1, and I love to revisit Romans 1 because I really believe it sets the entire stage of the, the epistle. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. I've tried to make that point throughout our study, that the gospel is God's message. The theme of Romans, in fact, is the gospel of God, which he promised, that's God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Here, Paul is referencing the Holy Scriptures throughout Romans. As I've said in chapters 9 through 11, he references the Old Testament one-third of the entire times that he references them throughout all of his epistles are just in those three chapters, one-third of his references. The book of Romans is replete with references to the Old Testament, to the scriptures, and here they're called the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son. They concern Christ. The Gospel concerns Christ. The Old Testament scriptures concern Christ, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom, that is through Christ alone, we have received grace, that is grace alone, you could argue, as he goes through the the epistle, and the apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Now that word, again, that phrase is found where we're going to go today. Faith, for the sake of his name among all the nations, And all of this abounds to the glory of God because all of it is his doing. It's the gospel of God as he promised. It's his son. It's the spirit of holiness through whom, that is through whom we receive grace and faith, faith alone. This is all of God's doing. And he gets the glory for it, therefore. But as we go back to chapter 16, we see many of these same themes reiterated in these last three verses, which are also a benediction. Now to him... To him, we find out, is verse 27, to the only wise God. So, now to him who is able to strengthen you or establish you, grace alone, it's only God that's able to do it. According to my gospel, that's the theme of Romans that we just saw in the first chapter, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, that's the focus, that's where our faith faith lies, in him alone, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nation. This is a scripture alone reference here again. According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of what? Faith. Faith alone here. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. The glory of God alone. And the reason why we define these as solas is doing, due to the way Paul speaks of them here, but really throughout the epistle, he references the authority of Scripture. Although he himself is an inspired apostle, he makes sure that the message that God has given him is seen in light of the whole message that God has given in the Old Testament, which is the only Scripture he had, but also as we read it, as the Old Testament is revealed, this mystery is revealed, we see that the New Testament is also equally that of God's word, and sufficient, therefore, to teach us of salvation, the way of it, and the need of it, and the way that it's come to us through Christ alone. 
But as we think of these solas, and as we think of this as marking 503 years since the Reformation, I wonder if you think about the Reformation through rose-colored lenses. You know, I have a tendency, and I think there is a tendency to look back at our heroes of the faith, see these monumental figures, and forget that they are just like you and I. They're not much different than us. They suffered, in fact, much more than any of us here have suffered in these pews. When we look back at the Reformation, one of the things we have to come to terms with is how did a few people stand against the most powerful entity in the world at the time and call that entity to reform herself back to Scripture, back to these truths that we have been searching out and, and as being, God willing, being established in our hearts in even just the book of Romans. How did they stand while they faced severe persecution? Martin Luther, once he became the heretic, according to the papal bull, the proclamation that deemed him that, he was constantly at risk. His life was constantly at risk. If he wasn't in hiding or he wasn't protected by some magistrate, he would have been killed 20 times over in his life. And living with that always behind him caused him some severe depressions at time in his life, caused him some severe trouble, and yet he remained strong through it and and continued steadfast in the conviction of the scriptures that held him and bound his conscience. I was reading this week about William Tyndale, someone who's not often brought up much in the facet or in the idea of those who were mainly reformers. Usually it's Calvin and Luther and Zwingli and Knox. But when you think about William Tyndale, you, you have... In, in your mind, you have to have in your mind a particular genius of a man. Most of the English translations of the Bible down to this very day have Tyndale. When you read them, you're reading William Tyndale's translation of the Bible. One man who was extraordinarily gifted, but his giftedness was all in service to his king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was a reformer that sought out to bring the scriptures from the Greek and the Hebrew into the English language so that God's people, who was not merely the clergy as it was perceived to be in Rome, but God's people in the congregation could read the word of God. And for that, he had men spy out what he was doing and in fact throw an infiltrator into his daily life, gain his trust, and that man eventually betrayed him gave him over to uh, his persecutor, Henry VIII, at the time, was the king of England. He was thrown in prison for over 400 days, and eventually he was strangled to death in the public square as a heretic and burned after he died because he wanted to translate the scriptures to English as a reformer. And we look up to these men. But do we realize the strength that is needed to stand in that kind of hour, in that kind of day? What does it take to stand 
for these truths that have been committed to the church through the scriptures for salvation, which they were saying alone saves sinners. Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. What does it take to stand? Almost every early reformer was relegated to hiding and withstood severe persecution, often even to death, due to their biblical convictions. Now, in verse 25, there's a good explanation, I believe, of how the reformers stood in the face of such persecutions. And this is our great need today. We are coming into an, uh, an age of our civilization. And I think when I say our civilization, I don't just mean America, the United States. I mean the West. And we see where the West is going in Europe, where it's gone, where there's almost no Christian influence left. Protestant Reformation influence, very little over there compared to what it was, especially. And now to where our country is, is going, regardless of who becomes our president or who is voted in our president, on Tuesday, we see a very severe decline in our culture when it comes to standing like these reformers stood. So what is it going to take as we look back at them and we look forward? I want to be a generation that leaves the faith to the next. I, it's one thing I look at my children. And, and I don't want to be the, the generation that says, ah, oh, we had so much good and so we just, we just got comfortable you know, we got comfortable in all of the, you know, the, the wealth that we have and the comfort and the smoothie bar and the TV. And every time I feel discouraged, I can just sit back and veg, you know, instead of fast and pray. I want this generation, I want this church to remain. How do we do that? We don't do that in some ways. When we talk about what it takes to persevere and what we'll observe this morning, I just have four observations from verses 25 through 27 regarding how we will be strengthened and what we're strengthened for. And I think this is the answer. If we're going to face, look at what happened in the past rightly and what we can pray for and, and hope for and, and seek for in the future, this is what is needed. We need to be strengthened in order for this to happen, for us to remain faithful. So I have four observations. Verse 25 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen or establish you, First observation is this. The strength that we need is the Lord's. It comes from God. It is not our own. It is Him who is able to strengthen us. It's not a natural fortitude. The apostle is not here ending his benediction with the call for everybody who has it within their natural disposition to be strong and courageous. 
He's not saying to us that the strong and impermeable personalities of the world are what it takes to stand. It's God's strength that he is closing this benediction with for God's people. It's not a natural fortitude. It is a spiritual strength that is meant for the Christian's perseverance in the faith. You know, when you really take a look at the, <laughs> at the reformers and some of the greatest Christians in the history of the church, many of them were not far from derelicts concerning their own health. Some of these were the most unhealthy people that the world is, could imagine. John Calvin was often sleepless and restless. He couldn't sleep through the nights. He couldn't often eat because his body was so riddled by so many health problems that he couldn't often sleep and, and yet he couldn't often eat well. And yet you read about how often he was in the pulpit. This man preached five times a week and was writing commentaries on scripture and was writing theological treaties, unceasingly energetic for the work of the kingdom of God, and yet as a man he was as weak as anybody that I read about. Where was his strength found? You can go throughout the, the history of godly men and read about their weaknesses. This was not a natural strength that they found. And that's not what Paul prays for here. This is a spiritual strength that is meant for our perseverance, our patience when our faith is tried and when we are tempted to say it is too much for us. Temptation to sin, temptation to go and just give way and just have it easy in this life. This is a strength that enables us to stand. When Paul says to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might in Ephesians chapter 6, and then proceeding in verses 10 through 18, he defines that strength and power as having to, only to do with spiritual armament. He never says, after he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, just find that inner strength, find that that strong fortitude, that personality type, and then put him in charge and everybody feed off of him. You know, what he says is put on the whole armor of God. This is something extrinsic of ourselves. This is the belt of truth. This is the breastplate of righteousness. This is the gospel of peace shoes or slippers. Shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and praying at all times, which seeks out strength apart from ourselves. And all of these are for this purpose. Take up the whole armor of God so that, or therefore, so this may happen, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having all done to stand and so to stand firm. The strength that we need to stand, even as the reformers did, even as Paul is exhorting the early Christians to do, is to stand in the strength of the Lord, in the power of his might. Now, I have an earnest desire that a particular man wins the White House this year. Not because he's a righteous man himself. Neither of the candidates 
are righteous themselves. But because the opposition, the opposing party, is continually driving our society into legalizing, normalizing, and celebrating sin as a culture. And the Bible says that sin is a reproach to any people, but righteousness exalts a nation. And when I see a platform that's promoting sin and celebrating it and urging it and condemning righteousness, then I'm going to vote for the other platform as a Christian. But in no way do I trust that in voting for the platform that I believe is more consistent with Scripture, do I believe that if that president that gets established, as that man who gets established as our president, if he gets there, no way am I trusting him to strengthen me spiritually to the degree that Paul is asking and praying for for us. I'm not looking for this election to do what Paul is beseeching God to do for God's people. Do you see? We can be prayerful, we can be earnest, we can be desirous of a person or an entity or a kingdom of this world to righteously rule and yet not put any trust in the arm of flesh because they will fail us. They will fail. Paul is asking and he's beseeching God and he's encouraging God's people here in these final words to seek a strength that is in God alone. Not in the situations or not in the establishments of man in this world, even those that God has ordained in this world. While we are on this earth, we need the strength of the Lord to uphold us. Second observation, God's strength here is inseparable from his gospel. It's inseparable from the gospel. Again, verse 25, Now him is who, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And the, my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ are really two components of the same fruit, the same tree. And now here's another proof that we're not talking about natural strength though, right? For this strength comes through the preaching of the life and person of someone else, not us. You see? Let me say this, and this might shock you. The gospel is not about you. Huh? What do you mean? The gospel is not about you. I listen to this podcast called The White Horse Inn sometime. It's, it's very helpful. It's uh, often a group of pastors. They have a Baptist pastor and a Lutheran pastor and a Presbyterian pastor. It sounds like a joke, right? But, but they gather and they, they get into the scripture and, and they are all sincere believers and orthodox in their faith, but they disagree on, on points and those points come up and they talk about them biblically. But... I remember this, they went to a pastor's conference, an evangelical pastor's conference, and their purpose was to ask questions. And one, the question was, when you evangelize, do you, do you like to start, do you like to give your testimony, or do you like to convey the message of the gospel to the person you're evangelizing? And over three quarters of them said, well, I don't really like to talk so much about 
the actual content of the gospel per se. I like to tell them what Jesus has done in my life. I like to tell them what Jesus has done in my life. And, and I hear that, and I remember myself being convinced, hey, that's a lot easier to do in evangelism. I like to tell them what Jesus did in my life. But let me, let me say this. What Jesus did in your life is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel is a very particular message about someone that is not you. That's why it's good news. If the gospel is about us, it's not good news. And this is what I mean. The gospel, the Bible says in, in chapter 1, it concerns the Son of God. It's God's message, and it concerns Christ. We have to keep this before us before we apply the gospel to us. The good news is good because it is about Jesus. The Son of God became man. He, being the promised Messiah, lived a perfect life, fulfilled all righteousness, and nevertheless, he died a sinner's accursed death. But he was raised to life again. That is good news. When it is pre preached to sinners that through him, life is found. Through him, through what he has done, through who he is, life is established for us. Everlasting life. The application of the gospel the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. You see, the gospel is outside of us. That's the message that we're to believe. That's the good news that when we hear it, God willing, we believe it. We repent and believe it. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's believe in him and you will be saved. That's how the gospel is applied. But the gospel is strengthening because it concerns Jesus the Lord. The gospel is strengthening also when we keep Christ before us. So the gospel is not this moment when we believe and then that's it and then we're gone. You know, there's just, that was a time back then when I made this profession of faith and now I've gotten to a better place in my life. Thank you for getting me here, God, and now I'll take it from here. No, it's, there's no strength ever apart from union with this Christ. It's only those who abide in the vine that will produce fruit. The gospel is strengthening when we keep Christ before us, when our dependence is always on him. In God's mercy, he's ordained then that the Lord's Supper is what we take part in as often as we do it, so often as we do it. Now, some traditions do it once a year, some do it once a week. We do it once a month. We might do it twice a month. We might do it. I don't, I don't have any disposition about doing it every week. I think it's important. But when we remember Christ in the supper, it is more than merely to cast our mind back there. Merely. To that historical event on the, of the cross. It is to by faith reckon that we were with him there. there. There is a personal component now as this gospel is applied to our 
ourselves by faith that he bore our sins there. His body was broken. His blood was shed for us. He died our death there. But the primary means in which Christ is regularly set before our minds is through the preaching of Christ. He says it here. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And here's what gospel preaching looks like. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. This is the Apostle Paul. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's what gospel preaching looks like. It's not about the showmanship of the preacher. It's not about the lights. It's not about his attire. It's not about all of the way he strings adjectives together. It's about the power of God being displayed from the word of God. And the spirit of God moving through the word of God. And this is why the reformers stressed the preaching of God's word as central to the church. Before the reformers, preaching was sort of a homily that was prescripted and descriptive. Every week the pastor would get, or the priest would come up and he'd get up and the, the pulpit would be somewhat to the side of the of the cathedral and he'd say something over there but everything would center around the table everything would center around the lord's table and and one of the changes in the reformation became that the preaching became central the preaching of the cross the preaching of god's word became central and that's i think what paul is saying here but we should not relegate preaching merely to what i'm doing here this morning i think As I said, one of the things that I think of when I look back at the history of the Reformers, Luther too, these men were preaching all the time. You know, I preached twice this week at Olelo, and I was so tired that night. And when I preach twice on Sundays, usually I go home and I am just exhausted. It's one of the most exhausting things that I've ever done in such a small period of time, and yet this is the urgency of the time to be preaching. But that's not even what I would relegate it to, namely that somebody is up here and just preaching like this. I think this is primarily what Paul means, but we one we read in the scriptures is those who are indwelt by the Spirit, we are reading. When we ourselves are indwelt by the Spirit and we're reading scriptures, we're reading the preaching of the Spirit of God. And it's the Spirit who teaches us of Christ, as Jesus said. When the Spirit of truth comes in John 16, 13, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And remember, this is the way of strengthening the gospel and the the preaching of Christ. And here, the Spirit preaches of Christ. And I think primarily he does that through the word that he's inspired. So be readers of the word. If you don't, aren't able to read the word, read it with somebody. Now we have audible things that you can buy and you can listen to it. And you can listen to the word of God read. 
The scriptures not only contain the content for true gospel preaching, they contain prophetic and apostolic preaching. They contain preaching themselves, inspired by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15.1, the apostle Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And then he goes and reminds them of what he preached to them. In a sense, the scriptures, especially as we see them in the, pro- pro- the prophecies, the Psalms, the, the apostles' writings, are sermons for our edification. And even preaching can be wrought, I think, even all the way down to a daily, normal activity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. Last night I was, we were spending time with, uh, with some friends, some brothers and sisters in the Lord that we've met recently from New Jersey. They've been visiting for the last several months. Month, months. And I spent a good half hour to an hour with the brother just talking about the content of scripture and being encouraged and admonished in the word just through conversation and speech and again we read in Colossians 3:16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and here's the result of that word dwelling in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom now paul is writing this church to i mean he's writing to a church and he's telling them this I don't think we should read this as merely him writing to elders or through those who have the teaching instruction and duties of the church. I think he's talking to the church and he says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Where's that wisdom come from? The word of Christ. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When we gather for worship, there's a sense where we are proclaiming the truths of God to one another. We're admonishing those truths in one another. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So instead of just merely relegating this admonishment, this encouragement, this teaching ministry to words, he says, whatever you do. Sometimes the things that we do preach, right? And if we are doing things that align with the gospel, they preach Christ. I'll never forget this. God willing, I'll never forget this. I was at my friend's wedding 10 years ago about in Michigan. Traverse City. We went up to Traverse City. We had the wedding up there. And we were all flying buddy passes because another friend of mine worked for an airline company. And we got to Grand Rapids, Rapids to fly back to Montana I was going to Montana before flying home and seeing my new bride, which I was missing severely at that time. But we were going to Montana first and then back home. Well, none of us could make the flight. We're all stranded in Grand Rapids. It's like 10.30. We're waiting, waiting. No more flights to, to Great Falls. So we didn't know what we were going to do. We thought, well, we'll just crash at the airport tonight. Well, turns out my friend was married to a pastor in Traverse City. He knew somebody in Grand Rapids, and a call was made, and all of a sudden, we're going to this man's house. There's probably 11 to 15 of us. I can't remember. There's a big group. That's why we didn't get on the airplane. So there's a big group. We're all flying standby, but here's this family. We have no idea who they are. We just know they're brothers in the Lord, sisters in the Lord. That's a man and a wife. They have a big house, and they're 
you know, doing this when we come to the door at 11 at night, there's, you know, and they said the refrigerator's there, bathrooms are here, rooms, 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 they're all places for you to sleep, have a great night, we've got to get up in the morning, God bless you, and they went to bed. And I'm just sitting there going, these people don't know us, not one of them knew us. And they opened their house at 11 o'clock at night, and the love of Christ was just displayed. You know, they had to wake up and probably wash all of those sheets, restock all of their... Fr- I don't think we ate a lot, by the way. I think we went to bed. We were pretty tired. But, but all their house was filled with strangers. And the love of Christ was demonstrated in that act. You know, there's... there's multitudes more but I'll tell you every time I talk about our house that's almost being done built I glorify God with that that's not that is a demonstration of the grace of God it's not of our doing I don't boast in ourselves I don't even know who are the people that are all involved I know some of them and I know that it's their love for Christ that is inducing them to give up of their time and energy and goods for the sake of God and his glory and for the love of of our family. And that abounds here, the point is, in the second observation, keeping the gospel before us abounds to the strengthening of the church in these ways. The third observation, it is the Lord's will to strengthen us this way. Let that settle in your heart. It's God's will that you be strengthened so as to stand. If you are in Christ, if the gospel is before you, listen to this. I want to read again from verse 25. Him who is able to strengthen you, him, it's his strengthening, According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according, again, now he's relating this further down the line, to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command or the revealed will of God, I think as we can understand that, of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. Eternal is not a slip-up. He doesn't just throw that in there to wow us. He's talking about what God has ordained from before the foundation of the world, what he's revealed in the Old Testament scripture, but was what mystery, he uses the word mysterion here, it was mystery, yet that mystery has now been applied and fulfilled in, in the apostles' declaration that, look, what the prophets wrote, what they wrote, what Moses wrote about, It's revealed to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the gospel. You see, all that word of God is meant for this purpose that the eternal God had for it, to strengthen you, to establish you in the gospel, and to bring about the obedience of faith. I believe that's what he is saying there. 
That's one of the purposes that God still has in the gospel, by the way, that we need to be strengthened and we need to be focused in this world. I think when we lose the focus of this purpose to bring about the obedience of faith, we've, we've ceased to see the gospel ourselves and the need of it ourselves. What do I, I mean? Paul begins the book, Romans, with this phrase. This is the purpose I have for writing. He closes the book with this phrase, this is my prayer, that in God's strengthening of you, you maintain this purpose that God has in the gospel from before the foundation of the world. You be strengthened so that this purpose that God has, that the gospel be preached so that the nations will be obedient according to faith, to respond to it, the obedience of faith, that's one of the purposes of being strengthened. In other words, part of our strengthening that he's praying for is that this purpose of the nations hearing the gospel and obeying it by faith, believing it, be continued in the church. Be continued. That it doesn't end with us. Yes, we might stand, we might be established in it, we might stand, but not only stand, that it goes forward again to another generation. You see, we stand, we have the strength to endure and to remain, but also that that same gospel goes forth. So that the same purpose of that gospel, to bring about the obedience of faith, which God had, the eternal God has had, continues as God has appointed it, first to the apostles. Remember who he gave the commission to, to preach or make disciples of all the nations. He gave it to the disciples, the apostles, who then instilled that word in us through the scriptures, even down to this very day until Christ returns. If we're not about that same gospel that is grounded in us being spread throughout the world, then we will miss, in fact, the gospel itself. If we tie all this back to verse 25, I believe Paul is saying that God has so ordered the history of redemption such that if we belong to those who have believed the preaching of Christ, that we are of those that believe the preaching of Christ, then it is God's eternal purpose to strengthen us by it. In other words, Here's what I, I want us to be encouraged by this. If we are of those who believe the gospel, it is God's will that we be strengthened by it. To stand. To stand. And this is exactly what we would expect when we go back and we read Romans chapters 5 through 8. That's all the therefore. After we have been justified by faith, therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we reckon that him who loved us even unto death, how much more, now that he's alive, will he save us to the uttermost? We're now in a new Adam. The first Adam everyone died in, but we're in this Adam that leads to eternal life. Now we know that we've been buried with Christ in baptism and we've been raised with him to new life through his resurrection. So now we're not in bondage to sin any longer, but we are 
servants of righteousness, that is, to Christ. And now we know that we're not bound by this old covenant, but whereas the law would destroy us if we were still bound to it, Christ is the victory to our failure, even our continued failure to come to the standard of righteousness that the law holds before us. And Christ is the victory, and so therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And all the benefits that flow down through Romans chapter 8, sonship, knowing the, the love of God that is without ends and without bounds, all of that is God's purposes in the gospel to strengthen us and to establish us so that when suffering comes, when trials comes, the prayer that Paul prays for us that we may be strengthened will actually come to pass because God has done it for us. He's, he's just done everything. He's laid out every pathway for us. But it's for those who have believed the gospel and who have their minds in Christ Jesus that will see that goes on even in the face of hardship. The gospel remains. Our calling remains. Therefore, our faithfulness remains because this is how God has willed the gospel to bring us to the end of our faith, even the salvation of our souls. But chapter or the fourth observation is the chief end of all of it. The chief end is not just to be strengthened so that we can remain and to establish the gospel for another generation to believe and to receive it. The chief end is the fourth observation in verse 25. To the only wise God be glory forevermore, through Jesus Christ, amen, to the glory of God alone. Beloved, by the authority of God's word alone, we stand in God's strength, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. This is how the reformers had the strength to stand for the truth, and every Christian throughout the history of the world has been able to stand. And no matter what tomorrow holds, no matter what this week will hold with elections or the year will hold with coronavirus or political problems or economic crisis, may God be glorified to strengthen us to stand in Christ for his own glory. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word that has taught us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But it's only in him. It's only in you. As soon as we find ourselves to imagine that we are self-sufficient, as soon as we imagine ourselves to be strong, we fail. So I pray that you would keep us dependent upon you. Keep us striving, not after the wind beating the air. Keep us striving after the glory of your name because we see the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see him who was crucified who was buried, and who was risen again, the first fruits of those who believe the gospel. And I pray that we would long for the day when our faith will be sight at the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we pray that even so come, Lord Jesus.